I have a really good story to start with, and I don't want anyone to miss it because it's extremely graphic. Um, we love graphic stories first thing in the morning, so I don't want anyone to miss that story. Everything hinges. All right, so let's pray together. Um, let's let's just bring ourselves to the Lord that He would that He would speak truth into our life this morning. So, Father. Um, you know where we're at, you know how we're doing, you know where we're struggling, you know where we're succeeding. You know it all. You are a perfect, perfect expert on how we are doing right now. Lord, I pray that, that in the next little while, you would bring us into a better idea of, of what to do in that place. And, and how we can see a little bit more of how we're doing in your eyes and trust you a little bit more with how we're doing in our lives. So we come under your truth. Holy Spirit, we ask that you be the only voice talking. Protect us as we listen to your word. Amen. All right, so watch Matt trip into the Christmas tree. Best sermon ever. So I'm not going to tell you the name, but um, I had the privilege of working in a local slaughterhouse. And uh, they had an interesting way of garbage disposal. What happened was there was a big pit with full of BFI bins. All right. And I think I've told some of the people this story. Okay. There's big, big, big garbage bins like we have right on the side there, okay? Now, they, they structured it all around the perimeter of the pit. You could go in two different directions to take these 100-pound barrels of, you know, you know, awful, all right? It's actually called awful, but you go into this pit, and there'd be BFI bins, and so you would dump these 100-pound barrels remembering to let go all right you would dump them into the pits then you'd carry on in your work and that's all fine and good except the overflow was bins beyond the first layer and it was only overflow because you could only access them when the other bins were full anybody tracking with me thus far Okay, you had to make a bridge when the first bins were full to get to the second layer and dump all the bones and skins and guts in there and then walk back, all right? None of it was flush, by the way. And these bins were extremely, extremely heavy. Can anybody see that in their mind? Yes. Okay. That's what I want to talk about this morning, is this graphic picture of, I think a lot of the time, we're not very sure of how we're doing. I think a lot of the time life starts to pile up in us, and we end up having to crawl over other bits of life that have hurt us, and is just sitting there to, to keep on on top of the garbage that's happening. I think often we're over flooded 
with scars and nicks and hurts and pains and resentments that are just causing us to be sick. And we're not actually doing with them. I think sometimes our room inside is getting overwhelmed and overloaded with the trials of life. This message is not to make you feel bad about any of that. It's, it's to encourage you that, that the Lord is waiting to deal with every one of those things. He wants those bins empty. He wants us to be traveling light. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He feels like it? Because He has to do it? Because He's stressed about it? No. We cast our anxieties on Him because He cares for you. You... All of us have a willing Savior that is just waiting to receive our pain. The lies that we're hearing about ourselves or about our situations. He's just waiting to take that from us. He's not wanting the rooms in our hearts to get overloaded and overwhelmed and really nasty. That's not His intention for us. He loves us too much for that. So I want to look at a story of King Hezekiah from 2 Kings chapter 18 to chapter 20. So if you could go there, we're going to be going through uh, those chapters as we go. So 2 Kings 18 to 20. Now King Hezekiah was king of Judah, the last remaining kingdom of the Lord. Israel was already gone by then in captivity. And... He was following his father, who was an extremely wicked king, named Ahaz. His dad was Ahaz, and he was an extremely wicked king. They said he made metal images to Baal. They said he sacrificed, they made offerings pretty much anywhere he could. And he even burnt some of his sons to Moloch. Ahaz was not a good king was not a good king. And Hezekiah came after him, and Hezekiah followed in the ways of his godly forefathers. Says he followed in the ways of his father David. And Hezekiah was a reformer of Judah. Hezekiah they often say when you when you get a new role to to not do anything too quickly. Just observe, just learn what's going on. Learn the systems. Don't change everything right away. Thankfully, Hezekiah did none of those things and he changed everything right away. Because Judah was in a really, really, really bad spot. A really bad spot. He took down all the idols. He got the priests back into the temple. He cleaned the temple up. He brought back the Passover. This was all in his first couple of years of being king. He didn't wait. He acted. He was faithfully trying to restore the nation. And although Hezekiah was around 2,700 years ago, I would like us to see ourselves in the story of him. As we look through the passages, we are not that different from Hezekiah. 
I mean, we're not kings. We don't have the money he did, but, but still, we're not that different. So I want us to see ourselves in his story. Now, we're going to be talking a lot about the Assyrians. Okay, the Assyrians were bad people. All right, they were a plague that was just mowing through the nations. Okay, so Assyria started out in the purple. And in only a few short conquests, they went all into the green. At the time of the story, Hezekiah was the brown. Okay, so Hezekiah brown, all his enemies green. Okay, when this stuff is being written, this is what he's looking at. Okay, now, are we surrounded by Assyrians today? Are we? Kind of. If you define what an Assyrian is, do we have people wanting to conquer our land? Enslave us? Not physically, anyway. But we could call the trials of our life, we could call the wounds of our past, we could call the negativity of the people around us, we could call relational strife, we could call financial struggle, we could call abusive relationships, we could call strongholds of the, dev- of the devil and enemies Assyrians in our life. Are any of us this surrounded this morning? You know, put up your hand. I would think we all feel like them at different times of our life. Totally surrounded. The threat is real. Of our enemies. So find yourself in this story. As I read it. And as I said before, Hezekiah did everything in his power to be faithful to God. And he expressed it in so many beautiful reforming ways. This is the first thing I want to say about the struggles, the trials that we go through, the stresses and anxieties, is they will come to you as you are faithfully serving the Lord. I think that's important to remember. Being in God's plan does not negate us having really nasty, gross things to deal with. Okay, this is what it says uh, in Second Chronicles about Hezekiah. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. It's right there. Here's Hezekiah doing his very best godly king after his forefathers serving the Lord And the Assyrians are coming, even in this faithful state. That alone can shake our faith. Because as much as we know that trouble comes to everyone, there is the temptation to believe that trouble doesn't come as often to people who are faithfully serving the Lord. 2 Kings 18, 13, and 14. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, said to the king of Assyria at Lasich, saying, I have done wrong 
Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah of Judah 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. That is $45 million, approximately. And it was so much so that he had to take gold out of the temple off the doorposts in order to pay it. And it totally wiped him out. So here's Hezekiah serving the Lord, leading the nation, finally saying, you know what, I, maybe I shouldn't have rebelled against the Assyrians. They are on my doorstep. I'm going to try and pay them off. And it totally wiped him out. Every resource that Hezekiah felt like he had as king has now been gone as far as physical resources. The problem is they kept coming. This is Sennacherib's own words. It's really neat that we can read about, a, about a, a pagan king from 2,700 years ago. Here's a quote from Sennacherib. As to Hezekiah the Jew, he did not submit to my yoke. I laid siege to 46 of his strong cities, walled forts and to the countless small villages in the vicinity, and conquered them. Himself I made a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence, like a bird in a cage. Pretty good English, right? I didn't know English that well. I surrounded him with earthwork or siege to go over that wall. Is it possible that the trials of our lives have hemmed us in like a bird in a bird cage. Is it possible? Often we would say no because we're not really sure. We're not really sure. Secondly, what's important to know is the nature of our fears, our anxieties, our doubts, and our offenses are always at their root an attack on who God is. Always. First. It always attacks our theology. How we think about God, how we feel about God, how we think of Him as our leader and our Lord and our caretaker. It attacks that first. Second Kings 18, verse 19. And the Rabshakeh, who was the... Um, the Rabshakeh would have been the spokesperson for the king of Assyria. Said to them... Now, the Assyrians were smart. And very wicked, but very smart. Before they went after Jerusalem, they sent this group of trash talkers to soften them up. They knew trash talking way back then. Anybody know any trash talkers? You're all afraid of the trash talkers, so you're not putting up your hands. All right. So this was this was a psychological warfare, and they went to the edge of Jerusalem and they started telling them all the things they were going to do. Your king can't save you. We're going to make you eat and drink horrible things because you're going to have no other food. We're going to wipe you out. 
They did that before they even attacked them. All right, and then this is what they said. Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are, stra- are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? In short, your God will not save you. And this is the very same thing that all of the things that threaten us today tell us. First, your God is not up to the challenge. You're on your own. He says this again in the letter that he writes, which I'll talk a little bit more uh, in a little while in uh, 9.10. Thus says, thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of Assyria. What does he attack? Before he physically attacks them with anything, he's saying, just so you know, God's not going to help you. In fact, not only is he not going to, he can't help you. You're totally on your own. Now just do a little bit of inventory with me. Are there struggles in life that preach the same message to you? Your God can't help you in this. The relationship issue is too hard. Your finances are too rock bottom. The addictions are too hard for you to handle. Your God can't help you in this. You're all on your own. I think that speaks loud and clear. And words are so powerful. I picked my son up on Thursday from school. Normal day. And I always like to talk to the teacher afterwards. See how he did. And she said to me, Just so you know, we have a really bad flu and strep going through the classroom. Thanks for that. I was instantly sick. Instantly. It was like a bucket of sickness just poured right all over me. Fever, nausea, lightheadedness, instantly. That was effective. Words are effective. They change you in an instant. That was a little thing. We're fine, by the way, more or less. But I'm still kind of waiting. Like, you know, she already proclaimed that strep is coming. Strep is horrible. She proclaimed it. I just don't know when it's happening. Maybe it's time release. I don't know. Okay? Words are powerful. And words that tell us your God isn't with you, he isn't going to help you, and he can't even help you if he wanted to, can have a dramatic effect on your faith and countenance and willing to fight. Words are powerful. But disaster can, can press us into the Lord can. It can also give us 
amazing freedom to do horrible things. But I believe more often than not, God is always wanting these trials and struggles and the people banging on our walls to push us into His presence. And Hezekiah won on that front. He did that twice. When they came to the wall, he quickly ran to Isaiah, his seer, his prophet. He said this in in verse 3 of chapter 19, This day is a day of distress, rebuke and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth and there is no strength to bring them forth. Powerful words. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up the prayer for the remnant that is left. He's pleading that God would save his, his city. He's pleading. And the Lord did. He sent a spirit in verse 7 into the Assyrians, and they went off and fought another war. They left. You see, when trouble hits, when stress comes, it's always a litmus test to the thing that we believe will save us best. Because we run there first. The first thing you run to when life starts to crumble is the thing you trust the most. Hezekiah ran to Isaiah. Where do we run? Do we have a go-to person in our lives that will push us to Jesus when the threats come, when the lies are there, when our faith is under siege? Ultimately, we need to find our way to the floor before the Lord. Because the threats from the Assyrians kept coming. It says... In 1910, see, Sennacherib was, was, was battle-hardened, and he was well-intent on, on taking that final stronghold. Because he sent Hezekiah another letter from the battle. He said, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction, and you shall be delivered. How disheartening would that have been? Here's Jerusalem under siege. He runs to Isaiah. Isaiah says, don't worry. I'm going to put a spirit that's going to make them leave. And then a short while later, he gets a letter that, from the Assyrians saying, Don't worry, we haven't forgotten about you. We're coming back. And FYI, your God still can't save you. So it hasn't happened yet, but your God still can't save you. Disheartening. Crushing. A visit to Isaiah isn't enough in these circumstances. Hezekiah needs a word from the Lord. (coughs) 
Because sometimes the hits just keep on coming. You just want a breath. I felt like today, uh, this week, it's a bit dramatic, but I'm a little bit dramatic. And I was saying to my wife, I feel like I'm being waterboarded. All right? That, that's dramatic. Like, why would you say that? Okay? But it felt like I'm getting just enough air to survive the next blast of water coming over my head. If you don't know what waterboarding is, don't look it up. It's a horrible thing. Military should be ashamed of themselves. All right? But it's so difficult when life just keeps pushing and pushing against us. But this is Hezekiah at his lowest moment. And I believe it is a beautiful picture for us today. As we all have things that threaten our way of life. They threaten our security. They threaten the very thought that we are okay. Second Kings 19.14-19 says this, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. That disheartening letter. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of the Sennacherib which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their goods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you O Lord, our God alone. He just preached a beautiful service of faith into his heart that was so distressed. And he had every reason to be distressed. You see, often the Assyrians in our life are perceived threats. This was very real. This wasn't perceived This was a threat that was at his doorstep and had a very good track record of its destruction. But it's important to note three things from this passage. And the first is this, God fights on behalf of his people and he takes our attacks extremely personally. He takes the things that you're going through today very personally. He takes the way they want our faith to crumble and shake and crack. He takes that very personally. This is the response to Hezekiah's prayer. 19 verse 20. 
Thus said the Lord, the God of Israel. And this in itself is so comforting. Your prayer to me about Shennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. I'm good after that. I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? God's getting in the fight. Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. It says further in verse 32, Thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way he came, by the same way he shall return. He shall not come into the city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. He's good. God has intervened. Verse 35 says this, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. And God intervened. Now just to look on the flip side. We saw from Hezekiah the way that he did it. We saw that he clung to the Lord. That he brought these very... I mean the letters that he had in his hand weren't complimentary. Okay? These weren't things that he would have posted on his social media to make himself look better. These were letters of destruction. For him and all of his people. These aren't easy things to put before the Lord. I get that. It's not easy to lay ourselves bare. Every piece of paper that he put at the temple was totally 100% his worst possible nightmare. Every single one. It's not easy to let the Lord have that kind of access to our lives. A lot of that is we don't do it that often because of that. We like to hear about our spiritual gifts. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you can, you can press right in my heart with the spiritual gifts. That's going to be good. Prophetic word. Yep, yeah, nail me. Nail me. Yeah, yeah, super. Okay, but the hurts and the pains and the lies and the strongholds, these aren't things that we want to spend some time on the floor with the Lord with. They're embarrassing, they're intimidating, they're terrifying. But there's a cost to not doing it. We often say to ourselves, well, I'm not hurting anyone just because I don't talk about how I'm doing. My issues are my own. They're not for anyone else. I've got this, I can do this. 
But the alternative of keeping our letters inside is ink poisoning, frankly. Okay? Bad seafood is still bad seafood. All right? That stuff's got to come out. All right? And there's tons of stories of how it goes so horribly wrong when we don't express ourselves to the Lord. And I picked just one from the Old Testament, Abraham. Thinking, well, Abraham is pretty awesome. What did he do that wasn't that good? Well, in fact, he did it twice. And he had this great idea that he would lie about his wife, Sarah, being his sister. The only problem is, every time he did that, there was lots of kings that thought, your sister is extremely awesome, and I want her as my wife. But why did Abraham do that? Why did Abraham tell such a lie? He was afraid. Simply, he was afraid. Because Abimelech, in Uh, Genesis 20, asked Abraham, he said, what did you see that you did this thing? Here's a pagan king, because God visited Abimelech in the night and said, if you don't give her back, I'm going to kill all of you. In fact, once you give her back, he's going to pray for you, and you're going to get to have babies again. And you've got to give him a ton of awesome stuff like slaves, cattle, and a bunch of money. Look at the wake of destruction in that one lie. Sarah's almost totally violated. A king gives up a ton of wealth. His family almost dies. Because Abraham was afraid. Could it potentially have been better if he would have said, God of the covenant that you have made simply with me for all of my ancestors, I am really afraid people are going to kill me for my wife. Is God going to give him a way through that that doesn't involve all the destruction of Abimelech's household and the scorning of his own wife? But see, these things that we believe first harass our belief of who God is. And so God's not going to help us, so i got to lie. It's my only option. The safety of God's chosen people depends on me lying about my wife. Stuff is real. It happens all the time. Now, you guys have been listening really good. I want you all to gasp Okay, when I, when I tell you this next thing, I want practice gasping. One, two, three, gasp. Good, good, good. Keep your finger on that, all right? Okay? I have regularly in the past gone to counseling. Good. Excellent. You guys are good gaspers. You don't get to hear that very often. I want that as my, like, text... Ringtone. My anxiety would go through the roof. (laughs) 
You know what I love about going to a counselor? You get to take the big puzzle, the big 2,000 word puzzle, and you get to shake it up. Right? You shake this puzzle up, you know, everything inside of you, you shake the puzzle up, you take the lid off, and you dump it on the floor. And he goes, good. Now we can start putting these things back together. It's so wonderful. You don't need to filter. You don't need to wonder how it all works together. You just spew. It's a great way to speak to the Lord about the things that are going on in our life. The problem is, it's totally one-sided. They're there to serve you. So you dish all this personal stuff, this intimate knowledge, your deep hurts and strains, but you're not getting anything back from them. They're not going to say, well, thank you for sharing. Now let me tell you some of the things that are going on in my life and then we'll all pray for each other. It's completely one-sided. And the ultimate goal for us getting real with the Lord and the pages that are in our heart is intimacy. Not simply feeling better. The goal is intimacy, and we can't get that from a counselor. You can't get that from a counselor. Rob already read it. Isaiah 9 calls Jesus wonderful counselor. John 16, Jesus is saying, When I leave, the spirit or advocate or helper or comforter or counselor will be here for you. But intimacy is a battle. Would you not agree? You have to be pretty engaged to have intimacy. Because as I've already said, communication is really hard. It's not easy to bear our souls. It's not easy to actually do the hard work and say, how am I, how am I really doing? I've often given people, you know, said, I'm doing pretty good. Only to think about it later and be, boy, I missed a really good opportunity there to actually tell them that I'm not doing really good. But at the time, I wasn't thinking about it. We just celebrated communion today. And there's nothing more intimate than the communion table. Jesus was so deliberate in making that the avenue that he would show his disciples and every disciple after that how impacted and how intimate our salvation really is. For starters, it's during a meal. You know, when families don't eat together, that's the devil killing intimacy in the home. Because the table is an intimate setting. We're just made that way. Especially if it's like spaghetti or something messy like that. You're just letting it all hang out, right? But communion is a table of intimacy. Luke twenty-two fifteen. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
I've earnestly desired that the very essence of my sacrifice, of my resurrection, of my spirit in you will become totally part of who you are. The cracker and the juice that you have now consumed is part of you. 100%. Somebody said to me once, the amount of pain that you let the Lord deal with is the amount of joy that you'll experience afterwards or something to those lines. And I thought, that makes no sense. But okay, and it's speaking of this exchange, this vulnerability. If we don't let the Lord deal with our hurts and pains and struggles and stresses and lies, we don't have any room for Him anywhere else. We can't have it one way. It's like when we're sick, when you have a really, really, really bad cold or flu, the thing that you need is nourishment. How often do you want to eat and drink when you're sick? The sickness in you is actually preventing you from wanting the thing that would heal. Right? It's like a lap band surgery for your soul. You're cutting off the source, that very thing that wants to heal you. We cast all our anxieties on Jesus. Why? A hundred percent because He cares for us. He wants us there. That's where intimacy starts. We need to make room so the King of Kings can come in. Just some real quick applications. I, when I was in high school, I had a good friend of mine. He worked in a fish market. I had a friend that was a fishmonger. But he had this thing where he didn't think that he always needed to Wash himself after work. Right? Right? It's gross. It's important that we're paying attention to how we're doing. So that it doesn't influence the rest of our life and the people around us. So a few things that we can remember. The first is to take these letters... Letters of threats, letters of enemies, letters of lies, letters of accusations. To take these letters and to not lend them to the Lord. We often lend them. We said, can you look this over? Give me the thumbs up and then pass it back to me. That'd be great. And God wants us actually to release these things to him. He wants us to lay them down and not pick them back up. And he wants to rewrite what it says. Who has the red marker in your life? Who is the ultimate say of what happens with the paper? Is it your circumstances? Is it yourself? Is it the Lord? Who gets the final grading on how you're doing and what's going on inside of you? You know, Danny Gokey tells this beautiful story um, tells the story of the song, um, Tell Your Heart to Beat Again. And it's a story of this doctor who performed an open heart surgery on this woman. Perfect surgery, went super well. The heart was healthy. 
the woman was healthy and the heart wasn't beating. And the doctor takes off his you know, gloves, his, puts the scalpel down, and goes down right by the woman's ear. And says to her, Mrs. Johnson, I have done a perfect surgery and your heart is ready to be used again. But you need to agree with the surgery that it was successful. And her heart did start beating again. The reality is through Jesus, we have every possible resource to be healthy inside out. He's defeated everything that would stand in our way. Every single thing. But we need to agree with him. We need to stand under the work that he's already done. Avoid lying to ourselves. Because if we can lie to ourselves, we can lie to everybody else. And it's going to be pretty hard to say, well, I lie to myself about how I'm doing. I lie to others how I'm doing, but I don't lie to God about how I'm doing. That's going too far. Okay, this is really practical. I even wrote it as such. Use the word fine as a four-letter word. I'm telling you, guys, if you come to one of the pastors here and we say, how are you doing? Fine. We're going to go... We're going to go like that. And it's going to be really awkward. But now you all know. Okay? Because fine means something other than what you think it means, okay? So, don't lie to yourselves. We rarely know how we're doing. If we're not giving ourselves to the Lord, we, we have no idea. Get in community and take a risk of telling people how you're actually doing. Take a risk of hearing that wonderful gasp that I just heard a few minutes ago. People will surprise you. Because honesty and vulnerability are constantly readjusting themselves. They're constantly realigning. It's like Google Maps when you miss a turn. It's just going to recalibrate. How open and honest we're being with each other is always in a scale. And if we're operating in openness, we're moving closer to what God would have for us. And if we're not, we're moving further away. There's no neutral there. So Greg, if you would come up uh, to lead us, I have invitation. I think there's two invitations that are important with a message like today. The first would be, first and foremost, if you've never laid yourself bare in front of the Lord, if you've never asked Him to sort out how you're doing, if you've never asked Him to be the Lord over your soul and over your life, it starts with that. We cast everything in our life to Him because ultimately... He always is caring for us. And He wants you to respond 
by giving your life to Him. That peace that comes in knowing God is in charge of my life can be yours today, this very moment. And you will have ample people to walk that through. So I would invite you, if that is you, to stand. If you would like to, for the first time, ask the Lord to really, truly govern your life and to entrust your pain and your hurts to Him. The second thing I'll say is this. If the story of Hezekiah and the way that he dealt with the biggest crisis he would ever see shows you, I'm not sure I'm processing very well with God at all. I think there are a lot of doors and rooms I won't let him go in. I think I very rarely know how I'm doing and very often tell people the opposite. It's all a sliding scale. It changes right now. Would you stand if in faith, in theory, you want to give God access to your heart and to your mind, to really give Him access? He will walk that through with you. You don't need to have all the answers now. I invite you to stand if you've been standoffish with God.